1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Matthew Miller, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Howard Mortman about his new book, When Rabbis Bless Congress: The Great American Story of Jewish Prayers on Capitol Hill, published by Academic Studies Press in 2020. This book is about the rabbis. It's an unprecedented examination of 160 years of Jewish prayers delivered in the literal and figurative center of American democracy. With exhaustive research, written in approachable prose, uniquely tells the story of over 400 rabbis. Giving over 600 prayers since the Civil War days, who they are, and what they say. Few written work examine the tradition of prayers in government. This new angle will appeal to students and lovers of American history, Congress, American Jewish history, and religion. It's a welcome, important addition to our understanding of Congress and Jewish contribution to America. Howard Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. Howard, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, my day job and actually where I am
0: uh, uh, talking to you right now, uh, I work for C-SPAN, uh, which is the cable television network that at its core provides um, gavel-to-gavel coverage of Congress. Uh, what we do at C-SPAN uh, is show Congress, uh, the floor of Congress hearings, um, what members of Congress are doing, press conferences. We also brought it out to show the White House uh, and the presidency Cover politics, nonfiction books, and history. Um, we are, uh, we've are we been around for over 40 years at C SPAN Bait. I'm here in Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill, and uh, we are a, t- a television network. Uh, we are uh, not the government. We are not funded by the government. We are privately funded um, by cable and uh, satellite television providers. Uh, and we are a nonprofit. And that means we don't have advertising, we don't have ratings. What we do straightforward is show what's happening in government and in politics, step out, let people listen for themselves and decide for themselves uh, what uh, their opinions on what they're watching. Um, My job at C-SPAN is I'm the communications director uh, for C-SPAN. What that means, I'm basically the PR flack uh, for C-SPAN. And my job is to work with the media, work with reporters uh, and and make sure that C-SPAN is covered and provide video, uh, our social media efforts also fall in my department so it's all the publicly out the the out public the public interface between our video and our content and uh, what reporters and and uh, you know everyday social media users use uh, for our content.
1: That's great. and so in terms of of, of that background, so how did you come to, to write the book? Uh, yeah it's actually. That's it, it is a direct line
0: uh, between my, my day job and my uh, my night research. Um, my So, because my day job is um, uh, working at C SPAN, I watch a lot of Congress uh, for a living. I have right now next to me, I have four television monitors going on C SPAN one, C SPAN two, C SPAN three, and then our internal feed. And um, as a result of of just watching Congress all day, and that's for better or for worse. I'll let others decide whether it's good to watch Congress all day, uh, but I do. Um, I've been here since 2009, and I've been, as watching every session gavel in, um, I I became intrigued by something that happens at the beginning of each session of Congress of both the House and the Senate. And that thing looks like nothing else that happens throughout the day in Congress, and that is a prayer. Uh, each session of the House and each session of the Congress on the floor begins with a prayer uh, delivered mostly by the official chaplain of the House. Um, and there's and looks like nothing else. There's no arguing, there's no voting, there's no debating. Um, there's no anger. Uh, it's just a straightforward message from a man or a woman of the cloth uh, direct uh, to the uh, to the Almighty uh, to God. And just as an intellectual exercise, I was just very curious about this thing. They pray before there's even a Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, it is literally the first thing they do is prayer. So I've just always been intrigued by this. Nobody else is intrigued by it. I am. Um, Every so often, the official chaplain, uh, and again, the the official chaplain is a government position. They are paid for by the government, by taxpayers. They have official staff. There is an official chaplain in the House. His name is uh, Barry Black. There's, uh, um, There's an official chaplain in the, I'm sorry, of the Senate. In the House, the official chaplain is... Margaret Kibben, um, she's the first female chaplain, he's the first African-American chaplain ever. So typically they do the opening prayer. On occasion, those prayers, uh, they are not available and they're not there and they provide, and uh, the uh, they have a guest chaplain fills in who delivers the opening prayer, the opening invocation to Congress. On, and that happens on rare occasions. On even rarer occasions, that guest, cha- guest chaplain is a rabbi. Uh, And that's basically where my story begins. Uh, I'm Jewish. And so whenever on the rare occasions there was a rabbi who opens Congress in a prayer, I perk up. Like I'm I'm keenly interested in that. And I listen. And after a while of seeing – it happens roughly about seven or eight times a year a rabbi opens Congress in prayer. um, I just got in my mind. I just wanted – I'm curious how many have done it. Um, Who are they? What have they said? What's their story? When, did it begin, when was the first rabbi praying in Congress? And um, it just led through a multi-year research project of trying to figure out how many rabbis are praying in Congress, who they are, what they've said, and then writing a book about it. Um, so that's, that's, that's a direct line between my day job at C-SPAN and where the book came from.
1: So, so you said that there are, um, or I said, actually, an introduction, that there are 400 rabbis and there are 600 prayers. So, I mean, that's, of course, a, a lot of prayers. It's a lot of content. And you know, as you said, um, C-SPAN's been, been been going on for, I think, said 40 years. Um, so in terms of the footage, so how much footage did you watch um, in order to write this book? Thank you for asking that. I've been dying
0: to talk about this, and you're the first one to actually ask about the video component. The um, I'm going to back up. A, the video component is so important. Um my two main research, uh, sources for researching this book um, are it was the, C, the C-SPAN video, and I'll get into that in a second, um, and the Congressional Record. Um, C-SPAN began in 1979, um, and um, that's when that's when the U.S. House, of representatives, went on TV, and we began broadcasting on day basically day one of C-SPAN was the U.S. House, March 1979. The U.S. Senate comes on TV in 1986, June of 1986. C-SPAN 2 begins that day of covering uh, the Senate. So I have video of, of, uh, I think it's about 200 rabbis who have prayed uh, in Congress while there have been cameras um, in Congress. Um, I don't have all of them. Uh, Sadly, a lot of our video is gone. Um, uh, like the early early 80s, late 70s video doesn't exist anymore. But I do have my first, the earliest rabbi I have on video delivering a prayer is 1985. um, And that is Rabbi Joshua Haberman of Washington Hebrew Congregation. And depending on how much political junkie your audience is, uh, he was introduced by then speaker, House Speaker Tip O'Neill of Massachusetts, and a name from way back. And he introduces Rabbi Haberman. And he's sponsored by uh, late New York um, Congressman, uh, Ben Gilman, uh, Republican of New York, uh, sponsors him, gives sponsoring remarks. I have video on both of those. That's 1985 is my earliest I have video. Now, everything before that, I have to rely on the congressional record. Um, so to go back to your initial question, I went through all the C-SPAN video looking for rabbis. And then when I exhausted that, then I, then it got difficult. Then I had to go through all the congressional records going back to 1860 when the first rabbi was and looking through every prayer and looking for each rabbi if they, if a prayer was given by a rabbi. So those are the two main buckets of research, uh, but the, the we'll get into this later perhaps, but the video is so much fun to play with and to look at and to watch rabbis over the years uh, uh, pray in Congress.
1: So I think one of the things that we've been discussing, we sort of taken for granted, I'd love to zoom in and, and try to understand. So the, the title is When Rabbis Bless Congress. What is a What is a rabbi? How, how are you defining rabbi here?
0: Uh, I will actually, and I forget which member of Congress is this. Uh, I'm going to quote, but there was a member of Congress who sponsored a rabbi who in his sponsoring remarks said uh, um, uh, it comes from the word rav uh, or to teach, uh, uh, to educate. Thank you. That's a brilliant question, by the way. Um, uh, you don't have to be Jewish to appreciate uh, 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 rabbis and their leadership. Essentially, in layman's terms, rabbis are the people who lead a congregation. Um, they, uh, you know, they are the uh, intermediary between the congregants and and the Jewish tradition. Now, um, I love your question so much because I'm I'm thinking on my toes here. How to best answer that? Because I want to answer that for a non-Jewish audience. Um, in the Catholic and the uh, the Christian tradition, the priest or the reverend, and the uh, Muslim tradition, the imam. These are all the leaders of the flock of the uh, the the ministry of the congregation, of the synagogue, Um, it's funny because when a rabbi or a leader goes in front of Congress, many times they are almost like going in front of a congregation. Um, I've had rabbis, and I've seen the video. There was a rabbi in 1994, Rabbi Maurice Lyons of St. Louis, who, when he gave his prayer in the Senate, raised his hands uh, over the Senate chamber as if he were in a synagogue, Giving, uh, he gave the priestly benediction, which is the oldest prayer in the Torah, and he gave that prayer, raising his hands, almost like he was blessing the congregation. So um, rabbis, uh, 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 you know, serve as as the the Jewish ministers who help out the congregants and help relay the Jewish tradition uh, for their membership.
1: Thank you. Thank you. In terms of, of the rabbis who bless the Congress, as well as the, the chaplain that is employed by the government, so one could think, one could say, and one could have a concern that this is an issue of separation of church and state. So how is this okay based on the government and based on the law, and, and how did it come to be?
0: Great question. Uh, I, I will t- Flat out, I will answer how it's okay. Is the reason why it's okay is because uh, this has been challenged many times. Uh, the practice of government opening with any kind of prayer uh, to God. Uh, and it has been, there have been several times the Supreme Court has gotten involved uh, and has upheld the the American practice of opening government bodies with prayer. Now, a couple, we have to, a couple looming caveats to this. The practice of prayer in Congress itself has never been challenged. What has been challenged that's gone up to the Supreme Court is uh, local governing bodies such as um, oh, uh, like county uh, county commissioners uh, or legislative bodies opening with prayers. That's what's gone on to the Supreme Court. It's withstood, withstood all these challenges. So the tradition of Congress opening with a prayer goes back to the very beginning of the U.S. government, of uh, the Continental Congress. In fact, first thing it did was to elect and appoint uh, a chaplain. Uh, then the U.S. Congress gets involved, and the first thing they do is it's open with a prayer and have a chaplain. That's why, because it's rooted in the American tradition, that's why it has withstood um, court challenges. A couple things are very important here to note. Um, There is the Establishment Clause. There's always the fear that a religion will become dominant, will become the official government religion. That's the Establishment Clause. Um, uh, And the... um, The fact that over 400 rabbis have opened Congress and prayer 600 times for me is evidence that there is not an official religion in America, because otherwise you would not have had all these hundreds of rabbis praying Congress. So in a way, the book itself is is contrary to claims that this leads to the Christianization of America, because here's all those rabbis who have prayed uh, in Hebrew or Jewish Hebrew scripture and so on. Um, it's very important for me to point out, that this book uh, is not a book for or against prayer in Congress. Um, there are lots of people who have made that argument. I actually, to be, I, this is going to sound really weird, I have no opinion on it. Like, I don't care. What I care about is that it is a practice of the Congress, and hundreds of rabbis have done this, and I want to study it. I want to bring their stories to life, for their, to make their stories come alive. That is my interest. It's a very narrow historical interest. I'll let others argue whether or not they should be doing this, uh, in fact, in the book, I talk about, I bring, I quote people who don't like this practice and, you know, it's still a government sponsored forum, you know, when we show the prayers on C-SPAN, we are showing the only like nationally government televised uh, prayer, uh, you know, to a national audience. So, you know, I can make the argument that, that A, I don't get involved. I don't care church state um, issue for the purpose of this book. Um and B, that it, it's, it's, you know, you can't really argue it because it's what happens in this history. But people can still say, yeah, but I still find it icky. I still don't like that it does it. And that's a totally valid opinion. Um, I will say this, that when I was doing, when I in, in the midst of my research for this, just Googling around, curious, has anybody done this before? There's lots of people who have written about whether Congress should pray. No one's written something that's more academically founded or historical that here's what, it, here's what it looks like when it does pray. So this is kind of like
1: uncharted territory um, in this regard. You you mentioned that there have been hundreds of rabbis who have blessed Congress. That, that's a lot of rabbis. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to deny that. But how does that compare to the number of, of Christian ministers, Christian priests, Christian pastors who have blessed the Congress?
0: Yeah, that, that, that's that's the spot on question. So the, the, at the risk of... of, of um, exaggerating the importance. I, I don't want to exaggerate the prevalence of rabbis. It's not an everyday occurrence. You know, I've, I'm in my office right now in C-SPAN. The House comes in at 12, uh, the Senate comes in at 2.30. In both occasions, they'll be open by, with a prayer by, um, uh, by a chaplain, and on both occasions, those chaplains won't be rabbis. Uh, they will be, you know, a Seventh-day Adventist in the Senate and a Presbyterian uh, in the House. So it is not an everyday occurrence for me it's the um it's the totality it's when you look back to the uh, first one was 1860 if you go back and count them up you can develop a story from that the storyline develops because there have been hundreds of them so it's 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 the big picture story of rabbis who have been in congress praying as opposed to an everyday, here's what to expect from a rabbi in Congress, because chances are that there's not gonna be a rabbi there in Congress today. But it's, what this, what this develops into is a, uh, this, a story, that's, it, your question is really good, because it, it gives some breathing to the fact that this is not a Jewish book. Um, it is a book about rabbis at its core, and that's the angle, but it's brought, it, this is, I, I intended the book to be about congressional history, to appeal to lovers of Congress history, political junkies, people interested in the intersection of religion and politics, how interplays uh, place So the the entry point are the rabbis because I'm Jewish, uh, and that's what I'm interested in. But it's it's much broader than than um, than just here is a list of rabbis. But it's broader in the sense that here is a history of Congress praying, coming in looking at the angle of the rabbis who have
1: done that. You mentioned before that um, there's a process of sponsorship. So I just want to go back and understand. So typically speaking, we'll have the the chaplain of the Congress, um, whichever house it is, speak. What is the process for another minister and in this specific case for a rabbi to come and bless the Congress? Wonderful. Great question. That's the process question that's so much fun to talk about.
0: How does a rabbi get inside the House of Representatives and give a prayer? What's the the procedure for that? Typically typically seven times out of ten typically when you are watching a um, uh, a rabbi praying in a Congress and I want to I, I want I say rabbi but it applies to everybody who is a guest chaplain not the official chaplain but this procedure applies to all guest chaplains Imams um, uh, Hindus, Native Americans, rabbis they've all prayed um, in Congress typically they are sponsored by a member of the house or the or a senator, who represents them from their district. Um, these aren't, uh, you know, they're rabbis, so they're not, they're not uh, political donors, they're not campaign donors. Uh, you know, they are leaders in their community. Sometimes the sponsor is Jewish, sometimes the sponsor is not Jewish. That's not a direct rela- uh, relation. Um, a lot of non-Jews, Jewish members of Congress have sponsored rabbis, but typically it's somebody with uh, just a, a prominent position in the community Uh, Who gets invited? Now, I will say there's there's a lot of talk about this. I will say rabbis want to get invited. Um, So, you know, some sit back and wait for the invitation. Others actively seek it out and go to their congressman Mm -hmm. or congresswoman and say, hey, um, uh, you know, I want to do I want to do this gig. Get me on the list. And what that means is then they send a letter, um, you know, note to the house chaplain or the senate chaplain. Please, next time there's a vac, next time there's an opportunity, please consider this rabbi, this chaplain uh, uh, to be given the prayer. That's typically how it happens. And then the rabbi, he or she gives the prayer and then the member of Congress gives sponsoring remarks and one minute speech afterwards talking about their qualifications, how great they are in the community. Um, I'm not gonna get too jargony on you, but there are occasions when there's something called a pro forma session. A house pro forma session is twice a week when the house is in recess they meet for a couple minutes um, just to keep the machinery going, just to see uh, uh, um, uh, if there's any votes that need to be taken. Uh, but otherwise, Congress is out. Those House pro- performer sessions also have a guest chaplain. I uh, have a prayer. Could be an official chaplain, could be a rabbi, a guest chaplain. Those also those are not necessarily sponsored, uh, but it's typically someone from the Washington area who can. Get in to DC on a dime's notice, on a moment's notice, and uh, and give the prayer. So, mostly it's someone who's being sponsored. Sometimes it's just through another uh, another procedure.
1: We um, the, sub- the subtitle of the volume is the Great American Story of Jewish Prayers in Capitol Hill. So, I'd like to know w- what exactly makes this a great American story. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I love It Challenge me. So, what makes it a great American story is.
0: I I will cut to the chase, is that um, uh, I don't want to say it's uniquely American that this happens because there are other countries that do open their legislative sessions in prayers. But one country that does not open its legislative session with a prayer is Israel. Um, The Knesset does not open with a prayer. Um, So if you are a rabbi and you live in Israel and you want to pray in in front of a legislative body, you can't do it in Israel. Have to come to America to do it. Um, and in fact, Israeli rabbis uh, have prayed in, in, um, uh, in, in Congress. Um, it makes it an American story. I would say also, it's not just prayers in Congress, but there are prayers that open up, um, that are part of presidential inaugurations um, that happen um, uh, in front of Congress um, every four years. Rabbis have given prayers at presidential inaugurations. Um, other state legislatures—I think I'm not—I don't I do want to say all of them because I don't know for sure—but many, many state legislatures also open with prayers, and rabbis have prayed prayers prayed in state legislatures as well. Um, political party conventions, the Republican and Democratic Party conventions every four years, feature a prayer at the beginning, at the afternoon session and evening session. So the involvement of prayer in politics and government is, if not uniquely American story, it is part of the American political process. Um, so it is, uh, I say great American because that just seems like a nice word to use, a nice adjective. Um, it's good for you to ask about that. Um, but uh, it definitely is a, an American story that
1: prayer is part of, of what Congress does. Focus on that American side of things. To what degree do these rabbis reflect the country and its demographics?
0: That is such an important question. Um, I um, well, I, I'm going to you ask about the demographics. Um, so that I, I want so I want to I want to go in a different direction, and then I'll get the demographics. They reflect American history because a lot of their prayers incorporate language regarding surrounding events, um, civil rights, Vietnam, war on terror the environment, space, things, uh, um, uh, the Persian Gulf War, um, uh, issues that America is facing, uh, World War II, the Holocaust, issues that America, Americans are aware of, make their way into the language of the prayers. Um, um, regarding demographics, it's really interesting. The uh, uh, many immigrant rabbis have prayed in Congress, uh, rabbis who have come from uh, Austria and, and Poland and Russia, Uh, now we're seeing a little bit more of Latin American, uh, immigrant rabbis who have, who have come and prayed in Congress, uh, uh, Mexico, Cuba, uh, and so on, who have come here and become rabbis. Um, so, um, it's not, you know, by the majority of the rabbis are native born white male rabbis, um, uh, typically, uh, but that there are enough in there of a different flavor, uh, that, uh, (sighs) I want to say, I I don't know if I want to go as far as it reflects America. I think America is more of a diverse country than the snapshot of rabbis would reflect. Uh, But there are elements of the variety of flavors that America offers that uh, show up with the
1: rabbis. One of the things you just mentioned is that the rabbis, for the most part, have been white and they've been male. Just pick up on the second thing. So as pretty well known for a large part of Jewish history, rabbis have been exclusively male. And then, and then, um, from the eighteen hundreds and uh, in the nineteen hundreds, um, you know, maybe we see maybe we see a few examples, uh, you know, at that time. But certainly at this time, um, women are, are are invited, are part of many rabbinical seminaries. So, to what degree have we seen women rabbis or or um, rabbis of of other genders um, other than male be uh, be uh, blessing Congress?
0: Yeah. So this this is this is this is like a critical point to talk about. Um, and it's not necessarily a good, you know, the, the numbers are not great. Um, there have been, to cut, just get the numbers out. There have been 14 women rabbis, if I have that right, um, who have prayed in Congress uh, a total of 17 times. Okay, so let's slice and dice that number. So 14 rabbis who are women who have prayed in Congress. Now, the first, as your, your timeline is, is accurate, the first woman rabbi ordained in America was 1972, Rabbi Sally Prezand. Um, from the uh, um, the Stephen Y Synagogue in New York, I believe. Um, She got ordained from Hebrew Union College, a reform rabbi. First rabbi, 1972, Sally Prezian. This was at the time, early 70s, of a lot of first pioneering moments for women in America um, throughout society. And and Sally Prezian was definitely part of that. So she was ordained in 1972. Um, So before we get into her a little more, that's when we can start the clock. That's when you can start counting, saying... OK, you know, you can either say, well, wow, I can't believe there have been 14. That's a lot. Or say that's so few, you know. But to be fair, that's when you start timing it. That's when you start saying, well, OK, for 1972 on forward, and then they have to be ordained and all that. It's still a tiny proportion of all the it's like 14 out of 200 rabbis since then uh, have been women. So it's still not a better. It's, it's a, maybe a more fair representation, but still not ideal numbers for women rabbis. Um Now, Sally Prezan, the first woman rabbi, was then the first woman rabbi to pray in Congress. And uh, that was 1973, sponsored by—now, your political history junkies who are listening in on this will recognize this name. She was sponsored by Congresswoman Bella Abzug. And Bella Abzug, a very liberal feminist uh, Jewish uh, Democrat from New York, I think the Upper West Side of New York, sponsored her. And she was known for advocating women's rights. And she, in fact, Bella Absol sponsoring remarks. She mentioned that Sally Prezan is the first woman to do this, and so on. So a bit of like that was that was the thunderclap history there of uh, you know the first woman. Um, took many years for another woman to come back. There have been two conservative women, um, uh, Rabbi Ellen Wilner's Fields. Um, I think if I have Rabbi Amy Rader, I think. Uh, that's, I might be blanking on a third, um, conservative rabbis. Um, one, Recon- I'm sorry, two Reconstructionist rabbis. Um, and the most recent Reconstructionist rabbi is a rabbi, Hannah Spiro. And Rabbi Spiro is from around this area of D.C. She, her, um, she has a congregation in Capitol Hill called Hill Havara. And she has done the prayer three times. And she's the only woman rabbi who has done a repeat. Uh, in fact, she, I think, I think she was um, she prayed back and uh, she gave the house prayer in March, I believe. Um, so uh, very, she's actively going and you know to get three prayers out of one person's big, but she's the only woman who has been called back to the Bema uh, in the, you know in in the in the Congress for for more than one time, and she's done it three times. So you know other examples, a um, uh, rabbi Dina Feingold of Kenosha, Wisconsin gave the prayer in the nineties. Her, she was introduced by her brother, uh, Senator Russ Feingold, uh, former Democratic senator from Wisconsin. Um, and, you know, the women rabbi prayers are, are really interesting to, to look at. Uh, but just, you know, just as an historical aside, it's interesting to see how few, if you want to use that, or, or how many, whichever way you want to cut that. So.
1: In terms of the... Um the the book it's structured um in two parts there's the first part is who are these rabbis and the second part is what are these rabbis so before pardon what do they say um so if we just go back um uh, before we look at, at what they say in, in a bit more depth would love to just have a, a bit more understanding of, of who these rabbis were so to start up who was the the first rabbi who blessed congress and what do they say
0: yeah so the we our story begins in 1860 february 1860 a rabbi Morris Raphael, R-A-P-H-A-L-L, born in Sweden, uh, moved to America. Um, His congregation, um, uh, B'nai Shuren, in New York City. He was the first uh, before Abraham Lincoln was president. James Buchanan was president. um, And he gave his his prayer in the House of Representatives uh, on the eve of the Civil War. And his prayer, very lengthy, multi-paragraph prayer, uh, talked about br- brothers dwelling in unity and, and, uh, and being together. So you can almost imagine a history looming over the chamber, the house uh, as a, with the civil war approaching. Um, so Rabbi Raff, Morris Raphael was the first. Um, uh, and it was years before um, another rabbi came back, probably about 10 years or so. Now, his re- the reception to Rabbi Raphael in the house chamber was interesting, though. They had never seen a Jew or rabbi in front of them before, maybe ever in their lives, but who knows. But uh, there was, you know, there's, according to contemporaneous reporting, uh, there was um, puzzlement, uh, to put it nicely, about who was this. The New York Times put him on their front page. You know, a rabbi opens a prayer, talks about him wearing his full canonicals, uh, you know, so you can imagine him with his you know, the hat, the big black dress on and the hat and so on. So it was quite a shock to the system to see a Jew in front of them for the first, not in a bad way, but just more of a, you know, you can imagine uh, what this was like back in 1860 to see this, uh, see this happening. Um, Now, it's interesting that um, Morris Raphael uh, uh, was the first rabbi in 1860. Guest chaplains didn't begin until the 1850s. So this is one of those things where, what, you can either ask what took so long or, boy, that was quick. Uh, you know, this was uh, uh, 90 years into the practice of opening Congress in prayer, so it took a long time for a Jew, but then they only had established guest chaplains 10 years earlier, so fairly quick by that timeline. Um, but, uh, yeah, Rabbi Morris Raphael was the first.
1: You just mentioned, um, and you mentioned at the beginning as well, that one of your sources looking at the, the different reportings on the um, – uh, uh, prayers as, as well as the uh, the recordings. So just want to just make sure that we, that we understand your, your sources you're looking at. So in terms of the reporting, I'd love to understand the different sorts of um, resources you're looking at and also just in general, how much was, was was this reported? How much did the reporters actually care about these prayers in Congress? That's great. that's great. Yeah. okay,
0: so I want to dive into this because that's so interesting. Um, in the early days, the rabbis made news, national news, by virtue of being a rabbi in Congress. Some of the earliest prayers made their way into national newspapers. Eventually, nobody cared. Um, you know, the big yawn, and they moved on. But um, rabbis have made news in their local newspapers, um, and it's been reported. And a lot of the good coverage of how exciting it is to go and rabbis are quoted saying, what well, is the greatest thrill of my professional life? Uh, those quotes are often given um to local uh, reporters uh, now in the social media days, um, pictures of rabbis praying to Congress are shared uh, constantly among the rabbis, their families who join them in Washington in the gallery, and by the members of Congress uh, who take their picture uh, with, the, with the, the rabbis before uh, the prayer in the little side room. So it's a progression. Um, they don't really... They're, they're not making news by what they say uh, necessarily, although some, some, sometimes there is news out of a prayer, uh, rarely. But they're they're making news by virtue of being there, and so that's why the earliest rabbis made the most news. Um, I was also interested going through when they died. Many of their obituaries also 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 noticed or uh, mentioned that ex-rabbi among all his greatness. Uh, prayed in the Senate on X date um, and all that. So, you know that has been reported in obituaries and other kind of memorial for for different rabbis.
1: You said you said as well before that there were some um, some repeat appearances. So we we saw that there was one um, female rabbi who appeared a few times. So, what are some of the stats that that, that we can see in terms of, of repeat? How common is that? How many times has it happened? What, what can you learn in terms of that?
0: Sure. The rabbi who has made the most appearances in Congress is still around and still praying in Congress. Um, his name is Rabbi Arnold Reznikoff. And Arnold Reznikoff um, is a really interesting f- Jewish-American f- uh, history figure. Um, he um, is a soldier. Uh, he fought in Vietnam um, in the Mekong Delta as a frontline soldier, and not even as a, as a chaplain, but actually a soldier. Uh, during Vietnam War uh, in the 60s, um, Rabbi Reznikov uh, becomes a—Arnold um, uh, Reznikov becomes a rabbi. He, uh, he, had, he, um, he gives the invocation at the dedication of the Vietnam Veterans of War Memorial in Washington, D.C. in 1982. Uh, then he heads off to Lebanon, and he's in Beirut when the barracks uh, are, are destroyed by Hezbollah, the Marine barracks. And uh, this is 1983, and Rabbi Reznikov is on the scene, helping rescue all the Marines uh, injured and wounded, and some you know over 200 killed there. Um, and uh, from the he's retired now from the Navy, Naval Intelligence. He has prayed in Congress 18 times, and his first was during the the era of the um, of, the, uh, of um, the second war in, uh, the war in Iraq, the second Gulf War. Uh, and he is, I don't, I think it's like nine times in the house, nine times in the Senate. Um, most recently in October of 2021, um, Rabbi Resnikov prayed. So 18 times high, uh, for the Hebrew, uh, the lettering, uh, the, the, symbolism there. Um, and behind Rabbi Resnikoff is a, is a, um, is a Lubavitch rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Feller and Rabbi Feller is, is Chabal Lubavitcher from Minnesota. And his experience in Congress spans decades. I believe the 70s was his first prayer in Congress, most recently this year. Again, um, I believe his number is um, 10, nine in the Senate and one in the House. Um, so he would be the second most. Um, and then in third place, um, still alive too, although he hasn't prayed in a long time, Rabbi Arthur Schneier of uh, New York City, a uh, Holocaust survivor born, born in Austria. I think his most recent prayer was in the 1990s. But his first prayer in the house was in 1956, uh, when he was uh, 26 years old. And I believe one of the, I would imagine one of the youngest rabbis ever to pray in Congress. And um, you know he comes and he gives a beautiful prayer about a very pro-American uh, prayer, a lot of pro-American language in the prayer. Talks about escaping the evils of communism, of Nazism. Uh, but His his rabbi, Arthur Schneier's first prayer is 1956, which makes him, if I explain this right, his prayer is the oldest prayer by a still-living rabbi. So a prayer in 1956 by a rabbi who's still alive makes it the longest uh, prayer by a currently living rabbi. Um, so those are really that's really the top. Uh, the other one on top, two is also in the leaderboard. I think he's got eight or nine appearances dead now. Uh, he's passed. But uh, Rabbi Joshua Averman of Washington Hebrew Congregation uh, was among the most uh, uh, prayer praying uh,
1: rabbis. So we've mentioned uh, a number of different cities where, where these rabbis have come from. So just to zoom in a little bit on the cities before we get to what these rabbis actually said, what are the top cities we're seeing these rabbis come from?
0: Yeah, so there'd be no surprise, like New York City, um, uh, you know, a lot of the areas you'd find Jewish communities, New York City, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, the local DC area, a lot of that to do with geography being close. Um, but surprisingly, um, there have been Jews, uh, rabbis from non-typical Jewish areas, such as Alaska. Alaska has produced two rabbis in Congress. In fact, most recently, a rabbi, a, a few months ago, a Lubavitcher rabbi, um, prayed and opened the Senate, sponsored by Senator Lisa Murkowski. Um, there have been rabbis from New Mexico, um, so a um, uh, Nebraska uh, Congressman, Don Bacon of Nebraska, Republican, sponsored uh, a rabbi, Abraham from uh, from Omaha. So yes, predominant in the, in the Jewish cities, Jewish states, but also represented uh, in other smaller communities as well.
1: So there's a lot more that we could think about, discuss in terms of who these rabbis were. I encourage everyone to read the book to get a lot more juicy details, a lot more in terms of, in terms of that. But just want to move now in terms of looking at the at what they actually said. And before we get to the actual content of, of some of these prayers, we'd, we'd love to understand something that you alluded to before in terms of, of the language of the prairie. So... The language of Congress is is in English, um, and I would assume that the most of the prayers were in English. But do do we find other languages, Hebrew, for example, being part of the prayers? And and how often have we seen that happen?
0: Yeah. So one of my great eureka moments uh, doing the research is going through and finding in congressional records um, Hebrew Hebrew letters, Hebrew lettering in in the Congressional record itself. A lot of that back in the '60s, uh, which implies a couple of things that. Prayers were at least partially given in Hebrew, um, and they made it its way through the uh, into the government printing press, which is really interesting. Um, nowadays, there's less Hebrew because because guest chaplains are told to <clears throat> to, um, to pray uh, that the prayers must be entirely in English, and um, I'm not sure exactly when that became a rule, uh, but I think it's sad because we've had a lot of uh, rabbis who have given really interesting prayers and quoted um jewish scripture quoted jewish prayers there is and i won't get too jargony here again but there's a jewish prayer the shechina the priestly benediction um which is in the torah that has been given in hebrew uh by rabbis so hebrew has been part of it not every rabbi uh, spoke hebrew i do have on video i have uh um uh rabbinical prayers being delivered partially in hebrew which is it's really interesting to see uh, to hear that it's spoken over the um, chambers now some members of Congress have themselves attempted to speak Hebrew uh, in their sponsoring remarks to various degrees of success or failure uh, but uh, they've been up to the challenge as well
1: so just to follow up on this so you 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 mentioned that um, that we see some Hebrew come up in the, uh, in the congressional records um, if, if I understand it correctly even in Hebrew script. So I'm curious from the Csam span side of things uh you know your day job so are the the prayers as well as the other um going on goings on in congress are they live uh, transcribed and if so how do they handle these things when they come up in terms of the Hebrew You've stumped me I love that question um uh wow good question I um
0: I think <laughs> well <laughs> When we live, when we, <laughs> let me back up here a second to think about this. We provide a live transcript of, of each session, but it's not an official transcript. It's really the closed captioning. So what you see in the C-SPAN captioning beneath the video or on screen is not ours. It's provided by a third-party source that's not corrected. What we do is we go back and we bring in the next day's congressional record. So in terms of what actually looks like in print on our side, we don't. I don't think we have the uh, uh, capability to have Hebrew script. It might just say. It might either be a transliteration of it, or it might uh, just say spoken in foreign language, which I've seen a lot in official transcripts. I don't know. I need to go afterwards. I need to go back and follow up uh, on this because I'm actually curious now what it does look like. If if actually, because we have covered events taking prayers out of this, we've covered he, uh, events where. Israelis have spoken like at APAC conventions. Uh we've covered American presidents who have spoken in Israel and lots of Hebrew was spoken then. And I don't know what it looks like uh in the closed captioning for that. Uh but I'm very curious now. So thank you. For I'm gonna punt on answering, but assure you that I am curious to find out more about that.
1: Thank you. I look look forward to, to learning more about that. In terms of the The prayers. So we're looking now at what the rabbis actually said. And we discussed at the beginning as well that these prayers, um, they have aspects which are timeless, just prayers, uh, praying to God in different sorts of ways. And then some of these prayers connect to and relate to current events. So how much do we actually see them relating to current events and and how have they done so throughout history?
0: Yeah. So here's, here's the tricky part. So they are told, the guest chaplains, rabbis in this case, are told, you're there to pray. You're not there to vote or debate or legislate. You're there to, to pray um, and to stay out of the policy and stay away from the politics, which is instinctive. They know I mean, they are there to unite, not to divide. Sometimes there are issues that are looming so big in the national debate discussion or big votes that Congress is about to take that that it almost you almost require some kind of spiritual guidance for the senators and the congressmen as they contemplate a big vote uh, to make it all relevant somehow. So it's not just an anodyne, milk-toast prayer of just platitudes, but actually some way of, 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 of inspiring them for greatness as they're about to cast a vote. So you do hear on occasion some of the big issues seeping their way into prayers. I'll give an example, uh, immigration. Uh, there have been rabbis who have prayed uh, in Congress at the time of big immigration votes. And what gets interesting is that the Jewish story in America is an immigration story. And, and nearly every time that there's been a big immigration vote around the time a rabbi has prayed, he, I think she in this case, but definitely he, he rabbis have invoked their own personal stories, how they are, their family escaped the Holocaust or are immigrants to America, came, saw the Statue of Liberty. We are a country of refuge. You know this it's not they're not saying vote yes or no but they're 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 invoking their own personal story and tying it to the american story uh of immigration and of refugees um so i i see a lot of that i've seen a lot of that kind of language come up when there have been looming immigration votes um i also have seen you know the, after 9 11 for example um you know when it was just inescapable and. You know, you can't say, now go get them, you know, go get the terrorists in your prayer. But you can inspire, have words inspiring congressmen as they deliberate on how America responds. You know, you know, we are a country of greatness and uh, inspire the mention of troops. There have been, you know, rabbis, have mentioned U.S. soldiers who are embarking overseas to hunt down the terrorists. Um, so there are. So, yes, uh, these are not devoid of current events, but they're shaped and cultured in the way that, you know, that inspires and doesn't divide on
1: on, on on cultural issues, on cultural and societal issues. And if the rabbis get um, a bit too political, are they? Can they be censured? Can they get in trouble? Can their sponsor get in trouble? Yeah, they
0: they they could. Um, I have no examples of that happening because, and this is gonna this is kind of a shock here. Prayers are seen ahead of time by the chaplain's office, and they're not told what to say, but they, I think they are urged if something does come uh, come too close to the line of like what they should be saying, they're, you know, they're sent back, they're, more, they're redlined, you know, they're sent back and say, be careful around here. So these prayers are, are in a way vetted, although that's probably too strong, but gently urged to stay away from, from certain topics that they might be mentioning. So no, so in the extreme, no rabbi, in fact, no guest chaplain that I'm aware of, has ever had his or her remarks censured or protested or opposed in any way.
1: So, so this book uh, came out in 2020, and it's, it's 2022 when we're recording this interview. And a number of, of prayers, of course, have happened during that time. So have we seen any changes, any any differences, any trends post-publishing the book um, that of course didn't make it into the book because it hadn't happened yet?
0: That, I, you know what, I've been waiting for someone to ask me that, here's why. My biggest concern, so I fi- the, the manuscript I finished in February 2020, as you said the book came out October 2020. I was afraid so this book is intended to be a living document. like the numbers will always change. there will always be more rabbis there's just like there's more prayers every day, there's more prayers going on. and I, I love that and I accept that as you know so my what, what, what I feared was during the end of the manuscript writing and then publication, that numbers were changed during that period now I um, that was um during um, that 2020 as we all recall was the height of covid <clears throat> and there were very Congress really cut down a number of guest chaplains who prayed in Congress uh, then so that <laughs> actually the whole period my book was under production uh, and copy edited there were no rabbis in Congress so you know covid's been terrible but I dodged the bullet in terms of my book being, uh it could have been obsolete by the time it came out and it has it was not um since then um since i wrote it i think there have been five or six more rabbis who have prayed that have none of the none of the big sweeping conclusions are affected some of the numbers i are are updated i update them on my social media my twitter and facebook accounts linked to the book where i say this is prayer number six forty, um and so on so i kind of keep a running score of that i I intend to, you know, for, as long as I'm interested in the topic. Um, but no, none of the, the none of the stories have, the only thing that might be different is I believe when I wrote the book, um, Rabbi Reznikoff was holding strong at 16 prayers, um, and now he's at 18. That might be the only substantive difference in the book. But um, again, that's recorded now on social media and, and YouTubes and so on. So, so
1: that's, that's a look at, at what, um, what happened between the book being published and then uh, to, the, to this current time in terms of uh, what was left out and, and uh, what didn't make it into the book. I want to know in terms of the editing process, so with any book that's edited, of course, things are written which don't make it into the final cut. Was there anything of, that was significant that didn't make it in due to whatever it might be, length, etc.? I, it, what this is and I love you for asking that question and I'll give you a flat out example
0: of yes an example of something I could have gotten wrong and, and it's this. Um, it actually gets really interesting. Um, the, um, I've had rabbis uh, among, among the 400 and so rabbis who operate in Congress, there have been a couple bad apples um, and showing that maybe rabbis are just like every other human being. Bad apples meaning, I've had rabbis uh, rabbis who have prayed in Congress have also gone to jail um, for uh, embezzlement, money laundering. This is really sad. I've had rabbis who have prayed in Congress who have also been uh, had sexual abuse charges leveled against them. Um, I had a section in there going in, in my mind, because I had a number of stories of rabbis getting arrested and going to jail, of making a police blotter uh, chapter and putting them all together. And I was given very sound advice that that is the flat out. I didn't want to get any of that wrong because like, you know, I, that's where that's where really it's, it's that's where I can't I don't want to really accuse people of something if they were later found innocent and I just didn't have access to records and so on. So I during the editing process, I dropped the whole police blotter concept, but I still maintain in the copy of the book um, examples of rabbis who have gone to prison. Um and uh for for money issues, so that's still in there. I just didn't I didn't do what I wanted to do initially, it was just a whole chapter devoted to that because that that would have been bad and just like you know would have really detracted from the whole message, I think.
1: If we look at the the book, I think we've covered um a, a lot of different aspects in terms of who these rabbis were, what they've said. And of course, there's a lot more and uh, people should, should check out the book, should read it to, to learn more, to better understand. I want to give you the chance, if there's anything that, that I've left out, any any big things that you want to reiterate, point out, would love to hear about that.
0: Yeah, the only thing is I want to point out again is um, two big things. Um, um, I, I People who don't like any of this, who don't like prayer in Congress, and I've run to a lot of them and they challenge me and I, and I say, that's great. Keep on challenging. But but. At the core, know the history, you know, just know, don't write off, don't leave on the shelves of history stories of great rabbis or great stories of rabbis. You know, this is my book, but it's not, but it's not my story. It's a story of all these rabbis. And there's a big part of American Jewish history that has gone unexplored and no one's written about this before. And I think it deserves its own section of the American Jewish history. Um, so that's point one. You're welcome to not like this. You're welcome to not like the subject, but at least appreciate the history of it. Point two is actually, it's bigger, but that said, it's bigger than uh, than Jewish history. It's, it's congressional history. Um, so if you want to know about the sliver of con- Congress history that you might not have known about, this book is for you, is to learn about, you know, it's something that Congress does that, that nine times out of 10, no one has any idea. Yet it happens every day consistently at the same time, in the same place. Um, so it's. You know, I really hope that it's, you know, it's lovers of American Jewish history, but also lovers of congressional history that walked away and just say, I had no idea any of this and I learned something from it.
1: Howard, we've taken up a lot of your time. I'd love to ask you the traditional New Books Network question. What are you working on next? Yeah, you
0: know, it's funny. I've, I, I, I know you say it's traditional. I've many times in this interview, I praise you for asking questions for the first time that I've never been asked before. I want to tell you, I've been asked that one before, and I've never had a good answer. But now, now that I've said, I've heard the question before, I actually, I, for the first time, I, I I have been thinking about a potential next project. Um, you know, this the fir- this book, the, the Rabbis and Congress book, was all written two in the morning, uh, middle of the night, family's asleep, and I'm downstairs searching through congressional records, and um, uh, as a result of that search, I came upon other storylines that didn't necessarily fit, that I've kind of been mulling around. Um, I recently spent time at the American Jewish archives uh, based in Cincinnati, which has a tremendous resource of of primary source documents of American Jewish history. And through my original research and it's through subsequent research at Cincinnati, the American Jewish archives, I've become very more interested in rabbis elsewhere in the political process that has gone unreported. For example, the rabbis who are prayed in presidential inaugurations um the first one was under truman um and uh, there have been rabbis since and rabbis in political convention so there's a, i don't want to be known as the rabbi in politics uh, uh guy because i have no i'm not a rabbi i flunked out of religious school you know i have no rabbinical training at all but it just i there's elements of history that now because more and more of this history is online and searchable that we can kind of unearth and, and discover, and that's what—that's—that's that's my passion project. That's you know, that's my—you uh, uh, know—my goal is to create this these alleys of history, and and I love when others do as well. So I might I might tinker around with that idea in the, the next couple next couple years and decades when I can recover. So
1: I look forward to reading that, and maybe we can speak about that as well. Thank you. So that, that concludes our, our, our interview. We've been talking to Howard Mortman, author of When Rabbis Bless Congress, published in 2020 by Academic Studies Press. Happy reading, my friends.